Welcome to Voices of Experience, your audio and video access to interviews, insights, and information that will help you speak more and speak better. Voices of Experience is brought to you by the National Speakers Association. Now, here are your hosts, Stephen Iverson, CSP, and Pilar Ortiz. Welcome to your April 2016 edition of Voices of Experience. We have key guests and conversations with successful speakers that will share their knowledge, effective tips, and techniques. Now make sure you watch the interviews that are available on video by clicking on the icons on the bottom of the app. Well, let's get to it. And now in VOE, we have a special guest. He has experience on television. Jess Todfeld has been a producer in the main television stations, and now he's a media trainer. So he's here with us today to talk to us about how to be in media. Thank you, Jess, for being here. Well, thanks for having me. And yes, we hope the people who are watching and listening can get more attention like I've been able to do. And this is one interview we have to share that he, uh, he had a Guinness record, 112 interviews in 24 hours. Right? Yes. And this is only one, day. so it should be This easy. is one, but we're going to make it feel like 24 hours. No, I know. Do that. No, no, no. <laughs> Please. We won't do that. No, no, no. <laughs> so let's get started. Yes. Why is it important for speakers to be thinking about getting media exposure? Uh, yeah. Well, the biggest reason is social proof. So yes, we hope when we do an interview that we do a good job and people immediately go and buy from us and try to work with us, but it doesn't exactly work that way and people think it does. What happens is, and, and you should still do your best and say the right things in interviews, but when they are living on your website and in your marketing materials, including proposals, an image, or even a link and somebody can, oh, type it in or if, if it's a clickable link and people can do that. That's where people look and say, wow, this person has appeared on ABC and NBC and Fox and the Washington Post and USA Today or all these things. And it's that social proof, that proof that you are the real deal. Ideally, you are the real deal also, or <laughs> yes. maybe you wouldn't have gotten those interviews. But credibility. Yeah, credibility, and that mixed with things like reviews and all those other pieces help people make buying decisions faster. How to get those interviews? And we can start at the local level, but starts usually with one email or phone call. Yes. So what to say, what not to say. Yes, so people, should realize this is a secret for all of you. I'm going to yes, start with a big of secret. Media with Jess secret. It's actually easier than you think. The toughest obstacle is just the fact that we just say, I don't know if I'm worthy or what would the story be. You have to be like Nike and just do it. And the truth yes. is the reporters, being a reporter myself, yeah. a journalist, we are always looking for content. We need you. That's secret number two, <laughs> which is we're just all secrets today is that they need your help. They, they're plugging holes. There's just, it's constantly, there's water coming out. If they need a, a written story, if they need a, a TV or radio story, they need your help. So we were talking about those emails and what people can do. I mean, you, you can reach out any way you like. You certainly can pick up the, go old school, as I like to say, and pick up the phone. Sometimes it's harder to get them on the phone, but I say the way to write a press release, I hate even calling it a press release, is to do it like an email. So it's a pitch email. Forget the whole idea of it has to have for immediate release and have all this information. 
it has to have this. Hold on, you ready for this, everyone listening? I'm ready. Yeah, right. It has it to down. have. It's important. Who, what, when, where, why, and how, and that has to be easy to see fast. All right. Highlighted. But I'm gonna. I'll make it even <laughs> e easier for for you. So in an email, the subject line must be something that's so eye-catching that sounds like a newspaper headline that's a hook, it grabs them, mm -hmm. where they just say, whoa, I love that, I, I, want it. I like that story and I've only seen the first six words. And then they open it because getting them to open an email is half the battle. Right. And then once they do that, instead of a long, long email with blocks and blocks of text, which is what everybody's emails look like, mm -hmm. we need to differentiate. So what we need to do is, I, I have something that I call above the line and below the line. Instead of that long blocks of text, it should just say, hi, Pilar, would the story, so, it's, so it sounds like we know each other, would the story below work for you? Now they're thinking, oh. He's thinking about me. He's thinking about me, and do I know, do I know that person? And you, often I don't know the person, but it sounds like we do. Ooh, that's a nice secret. Yeah, you like that? Secret. And then there's a line, I mean, then it says Jess, so they're saying, oh, what? Now they're intrigued, what's below the line? Then you have a lot of that big meaty stuff, but instead of just blocks of text, we want to see a big headline, we want to see a subhead, we want to see who is available for interviews, so we know it's an actual interview and it's not a restaurant opening, and then bullet points of what you would say. So, so important from pitch meetings that I used to be in when I was a TV producer, and people would say, oh, that sounds like an intriguing story, what will that guest say? And I had colleagues who'd say, I don't really know no. what, what, ah, forget it. What else do you have? And it's all about making their life easy because they are deadlines, busy. They're getting tons of emails. Yes, they are. And, and in fact, that, that is a huge point, which is if you, secret number three, which is also <laughs> If you can make their lives easier, they will keep using you over and over and even call you up and say, I have this story that I'm thinking of. I don't know if you could do it. Can you study up even and do it? You know, they're, th they're pitching you ideas. Mm -hmm. And that really is how it works. So if you, when you do work with them, if you say, I'll get experts to come on with me or I have clients who would fill this out or I, you want graphics? Oh, great, I have pictures that I've taken and you can use them and print them. Wow, this person is making my life easier. So anything that we can do to make their life easier and to expedite the work that they're trying to do yes. is going to make us a valuable resource. Very valuable resource. They're going to keep using you. You're going to get more of that social proof that you want and, uh, and feel good and proud of yourself. And how that. important is to position ourselves as experts for them? I think it's very important, not only for them, but for us for in our us, business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we should own it. We all are experts at what we do. And there really is at least three minutes worth of conversation that we can provide on something. <laughs> that's, that's another secret. <laughs> and that Often, certainly for TV, you get three minutes and maybe a print reporter, maybe they talk to you for a half an hour. And yeah. So in this communication, it's important to think about the audience, the media, and you, right? Yes, those are the three groups, and surprisingly, people forget about the last one, which is you. <laughs> you. What, what, how, how can you gain? So I'm going to give you an authentic way, kind of important authentic, people think about media and media trainers, as you and I uh -huh. uh, do this, as people who t uh, turn their clients into these robotic politicians yeah, that like, look and sound look terrible and don't, no. yes. Uh. <laughs> we don't want to do that, that's not we good. We don't want that. That's not what we're at. That's when they're doing it wrong. Right. That's what I always say. When someone says, they've been media trained. No, they're doing it wrong. 
So what people need to do is instead of just plugging, you know, buy my book, I have a book, look, I'm holding it over my face. What they need to do is give away a free item. And what do you need to do, the audience, when, when there's a free item? Of, the, of course, the interviewer says, how can we get it? Oh, well, you go to www, whatever your website is. And now when people go there, they see the information about it, they should opt in. And that's how, when they give their name and email address, they, you are now converting interviews. And once you get that interview, it's so important to forget that you are a speaker. And learn to speak in sound bites, right? Yes, sound bites. Shorter messages. Yes. So you and I were talking about this at the Media Lab and telling everyone about it. So step one, get the interview. Step two is when you're out there, especially for print or for TV when there's a slice and dice type interview news packages, they may only print a couple of answers. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do is give them irresistible answers where they say, oh, that's what I want. Oh yeah, that last thing you did, say it again. So a few of the examples that I can give are if you use uh, bold action words, if you give a conflict quote, if you, if you have absolutes where you're standing by what it is you say, this person will be done in a year. Whoa, I'm writing that down as opposed to, well, it could hurt their career. I don't know. So uh, yes, it, people should do, do that. And surprisingly, here's another one. Cliches, we've all been taught never, never, ever write cliches. Journalists can't stop themselves <laughs> quoting you if you include it in addition to something you're about to say. So if you, you're talking, talking, and you say, look, the bottom line is blank, and then whatever you were going to say. Or look, at the end of the day, blank. Now, for anyone who's listening to me right now, open, go to your, I was going to say go grab a newspaper, but I don't know <laughs> if they make them anymore. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, Google a newspaper. <laughs> Pull it up on your app. <laughs> Pull it up on the app. We drink yeah. more television and write an open newspaper. <laughs> and, and look at who was quoted and notice that you'll see in their bold action words, you're going to see those conflict quotes, you're going to see absolutes, you're going to, I mean, there, there are more than these techniques, but this is going to get people started. And, and it's usually included in part of it. So, so a lot of good stuff. The cliche is almost another hook. Yes, and you can use it, full circle, it, you can use it in pitching the media too. Yes. Many ways. Look at all of this. Thank you, Jess <laughs> for all this information. Our next guest is Theresa Funk. She's a speaker, writer, and a writer's coach. Most of the time, she works in the fictional world with memoirs, but today we are going to talk about non-fiction and why we as speakers need to write or do not need to write. Welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Thank you. So that would be the first question. Why is writing important for a speaker? Well, I think everybody agrees that a speaker probably would benefit from a book in almost every circumstance. And for the reasons that we all know, it, it lends credibility. It makes you seem more of an expert in your field. And people want a takeaway. They want to be able to take you home, read your book, mark it up, dog ear the pages, hand it to somebody and share it with them. So I think books are very beneficial to speakers. And yet we're encouraged to get right into writing a book because the, the standard line is if you want to be a speaker you have to have the book. And so we work really hard to create the book. We publish it in some fashion and then we find ourselves kind of disappointed with it because it doesn't really express what we really had in mind. How can we be better at writing? 
Well, part of it does come down to when do you write the book. And if you've been in your profession for, say, 20 years and you know your content inside and out and you're a new speaker, you probably have the knowledge to write a book at that point and do a good job with it. But if you're a little newer to your profession and you're brand new to speaking, you probably don't want to start right away with a book. You want to develop your message and make it very sound, very articulate, very meaningful to your audience, not just to you and what you want to say about the topic. And that takes time and it takes practice and gaining response from our audiences. That tells us what they want to hear, not just what we want to say. And that's about the topic, but what about me? What about us as authors? Because he's finding that authentic voice that is going to have something different. Exactly, and the and authentic voice, so let's talk about that for a minute. Um, you can't script an authentic speaker. You can't <laughs> teach somebody <laughs> to be authentic. And we know that because when we see speakers on the stage, we know an authentic speaker who's speaking from the heart and speaking with passion because you can feel them. Mm -hmm. You feel their energy go through the room. And the same is true with your writing. If you are writing something just because somebody told you that you should, or you're writing on a topic that you think is going to be trendy and hot, but your heart and passion are not with that subject, I'm going to feel that when I read your book. There's going to be a distance between me as the reader and you as the author. So how to find that authentic voice? How to find it, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, authenticity comes down to, the synonyms to authenticity are reliability, trustworthiness, um, validity, which means that if you are writing a nonfiction book, you are my guide through your topic area. And who wants to follow a guide that they can't trust? So I have to trust that you are, that you know your material, that you know your content inside and out, that you're not shortcutting, that you're not leaving something out, that you're giving me everything you've got. And if you're writing a memoir, which many speakers are, I need to trust that what you're telling me was your true experience, to the best of your knowledge and memory. Now that does not mean that you can't change pieces of that. For example, you might want to change names or locations or you might want to condense time. But you need to let me as the reader know that. So in your author's note or your introduction, you need to tell me what you have changed and why. And if it's a good reason, I'll follow you anywhere. But if you try to just get it past me, you've lost my trust. And so I think that's what it means to have an authentic voice as a nonfiction writer is that you're my guide and I trust you to take me through this topic. So trust, validity, what else do I need to keep in mind to express that authenticity and the connection to the reader? Well, one thing that we need to do is that we need to practice our writing more. It's just like, just and like this is writing, not dictating? <laughs> exactly. Or is it saying? No, this is writing. Writing. <laughs> um, because, again, as just as with your speaking, even if you're an authentic person, it doesn't make you automatically an authentic speaker. Of course. That comes from your interaction with your audience. Right and the connection that you establish. So the same thing is true of your writing. If you've never written anything before and you sit down to write a book, chances are you're not going to have your authentic voice developed yet. So we can start out by writing a blog. We can start out by writing articles or columns or something that allows us to express our voice in different ways and then we're looking for that connection. And that is very important to start with one page. It doesn't have to be 20 because that will be overwhelming. 
Exactly. Especially if you are not a writer, just one page is fine. One page is fine. A short blog is fine. My blog, and I'm a professional writer, have been for 23 years, is 350 words on average. It's a very short blog. Very short. I yeah. write a column on a newspaper and it's 600 uh, words. Right. That's not a lot. Which right. is far less intimidating than thinking about writing a book. <laughs> and writers today, or I should say speakers today, are at being asked to write articles for the associations they're going to speak at uh, for the convention. They have a convention edition or issue of their magazines. And so it may not be just about writing the book. It could be about writing those articles. Exactly. And also, I mean, if you are looking for your authentic voice, and I was mentioning that you are my guide through this topic area, what kind of a guide are you? Are you the type of guide who likes to tell all the facts and figures and the dates and the timelines? Are you the type of guide who likes to tell stories? Are you the type of guide who likes to tell jokes? Because we've all been on tours with all of those types of guides. Mm -hmm. So part of finding your authentic voice is seeing how do you like to deliver your information. And you can do that through your spoken word when you're up there speaking, but you can also do it through your writing. And you can try different ways of writing for different types of magazines that have a different tone and see which one fits you best. And that's how you arrive at that authentic voice. So what I'm hearing, Teresa, is that it's really important for the authenticity to be something that's congruent with what is presented as, as the speaker. If the speaker is a guide who likes to joke or likes to give, then that needs to be also reflected in the writing, not a different style from no. who they are on the stage. Exactly. True? And that's the connection people want anyway, because they either know you because of your speaking or they know you because of your writing. And they like so you So we for want that. consistency. That's exactly. Right. We want that person on the stage or in our hands when we're reading a book. One thing that I hear very often is time. Time. Hmm. Time. Maybe articles or blogs will be kind of a solution when writing a book. How do you find time to do it? That is the single biggest issue that speakers tell me that they have with the writing a book. I don't have the time. And I always say it's not about you finding time, it's about time finding you. <laughs> That's perfect. Which means that you have to find a connection to that writing that makes you feel so passionate you can't not write it. So time calls to you. And you'll know that's happened because all of a sudden you'll be thinking about your writing in the car and when you're walking your dog and when you're making dinner, you'll know that you've made that connection. If it isn't feeling that way with your book yet, maybe it needs to be a different type of writing until you find that topic that you can feel that passion about. And then time will find you. That's wonderful advice and very freeing from that scary discipline of I got to get it done so we slave away at it and yet that natural flow is mm -hmm. what we're looking for. And I do have a little tip too that helps you okay, get there. Oh, wonderful. good. We're all for yes. tips. So we talk about priorities all the time and I never tell people that writing needs to be a priority. People will say that to you. Well, you just need to make your writing a priority and you'll get your book done. But as human beings, we rebel against somebody telling us what our priorities are. The other thing that we do is we say, get your priorities done first. Do your priorities first thing in the day. So I tell people, try this. For one month, flip that around. For one month, if your writing doesn't feel like a priority to you, do the writing first. Because the priority items, whether it's a deadline for a client or making dinner for your kids, will get done you're not going no to let those what. things slip through the crack. 
But as the day goes on, if you haven't done your writing, you'll make excuses for not doing it. So for one month only, flip it around, do your writing first, and just trust that the priority items will get done because you'll make sure they do. And now there's no more excuses for not having done the writing. And when we trust the process, it gets easier and easier. And then you form that connection and that passion, and you find the time. I love that idea. Wonderful. Teresa, thank it. you very much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. If the opportunity takes you to the media, let's make sure you are prepared. This is a topic that it's very, very important. The way we look, the clothes we wear, our posture, our hair color, the way we act, and of course, the clarity of the message when we are in that interview. Let's hear this one-on-one -on -one between Stephen and Jay Townsend, who specializes in media presence. When we do a keynote, when we're on stage, if we have an audience of 1,500 people, we think we got a good group. But just imagine if you're on television where you may have an audience of 100,000 or half a million, or if you're on the Today Show, 5 million people. And even if it's only for five minutes, what a wonderful opportunity it is to promote a book or a point of view or your speaking business or what it is that you do to help people. Now, with that opportunity, also comes enormous risk because if you blow it or you waste the time or you're boring or you say something really asinine on television it's probably the last time you'll ever be on television so this is a high risk kind of opportunity let's just change it up and and put myself in the hot seat right now mm -hmm. and ask you to help me as i represent all the listeners be prepared for a potential interview Okay. What would you do? How would you maybe coach me? If we only had five minutes to make it happen, what right. would be important? Well, first thing I'd ask you is what program are you going on? Okay. What is this the Today Show? Is it a cable network? What have you? I got a cable network cable that's been network. asking me to do an interview. And what are you going to be talking about during this interview? I want to talk about a program that I do for corporations that help their leaders deal better with the conflict that happens through change. Okay. And how long is your interview? Interview is about five minutes is what they've told five, me. Five minutes. They've told you, and you're one, <clears throat> excuse me, one-on-one -on -one during this interview. It's just you. Yes. And have you studied the host? Do you know about the host and the kind of interviews they conduct? I know the host by name, and I have not really studied them. Okay. This is one of the things you should do before this interview. Go find footage of this host and study the way this host ask questions. Is this host the kind of person that's going to let you run with your message? They're going to chop you off in mid-sentence. They're going to disagree with you. Do they do their homework? Do they challenge you? You really need to know who your opponent is. And I say opponent because they may not be your friend. Right. And if anything coming out of your mouth is in the least bit controversial, they may challenge what you say. So I would caution you this. You probably need a little bit more than five minutes of preparation for oh, this. Yes. Because, but the first part of it is you got to know the team you're up against or the host you're up against. Okay. So now that said, let's say... From this five-minute program, let's say I'm one of your viewers, what is it from this program that you want me to remember not tomorrow but two months from now? What's that key phrase 
that you're going to want me to take away from your interview? The key phrase, I believe, is it's better to manage the conversations, not the confrontations. Okay. And this uh, audience that you, uh, you, you're addressing, is this for people who are managers in corporate America? Is this for people who are everyday Americans who just may be tuning into the program? It's more for the managers, especially right. newer managers that are moving into those roles. Okay. All right. This would be the first of a series of questions I would ask you, but we have covered the key point is, what's my time constraint? Who's doing the interview? And what is my message? You cannot, in five minutes, you don't have forever to make your point. So what I would coach you as, as a client here, is it's better to manage the conversation than resolve the conflict. During the first 15 seconds of the interview, those words need to come out of your mouth. If there's, I would start it that way. They're going to introduce you. They're going to say, hi, how are you? Nice to see you. And in, and then they're going to get into the conversations of what your topic is. I am here to say to all of America listening today, it is easier to manage the conversation than resolve the conflict. And that is even if you're a parent, a CEO, in other words, during the course of the interview, give application to anybody who might be in the audience to let them know you're worth listening to. Do not allow them to meander during the first 30 seconds of this interview. Okay. And the other reason to get to your host, because your audience is sitting there and they may be seeing several interviews that day. Within the first 30 seconds, they're going to decide whether you're worth listening to or whether it's more important to get a bag of chips and go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So you have to hook your audience as well during that first 30 seconds. And the other thing is you really need, the station wants you to be interesting. Right. This is entertainment. If you are boring, if you're not making any sense, that station's going to lose their audience during your segment. And once they've lost the audience during that period of time, it's hard to get it back. Yes. So I've got to, in the first 15 seconds, really start to lead that conversation. You want to. You want to get that key phrase out of your mouth because you want to be able to repeat that during your five-minute session as much as possible. So start with it, but then use the questions you get to bring it back to the central point. Or you say, well, Jay, that's a very, very good question, but let me tell you a quick story about that, about how a father intervened with a son about to have an argument with the mother and what he did. And then you bring it back to your point. As I said at the beginning, it's easier to manage the conversation than yes. it is to resolve the conflict. So if the host is <clears throat> adversarial, mm -hmm. has their own agenda, and right. I can tell they're really trying to bait me, get me to say something that I'm going to regret if I lose my temper, mm -hmm. do you have some tips to help me manage that? Yes. One is practice. Never go into a five-minute interview uh, because, look, your, your audience is hundreds of thousands of people, potentially. It's worth the preparation. Give this every bit of preparation that you would a keynote to 1,500 people in an NSA convention. Have somebody who is smart, who has also studied how the host does this, to practice with you. Take video of the practice session, record it, and then sit there and watch it. 
watch how you're moving your hands when you're expressing yourself. Watch your facial expressions and your body language. Study how you're doing. Have them throw you these tough questions that you may expect from the host. I would also point out that nobody has ever made a career on television by losing their temper. It's just it doesn't work and you know the audience has this expectation. A host can be a very, very difficult person. That's their job. The guest is not allowed to respond accordingly. Hmm. And very seldom does anger ever get you anywhere. Usually it will get you invited off the set never to return. Yes. So hopefully all of us Mm -hmm. are not the kind of people who lose our temper, but many of us would almost freeze, go blank. All right. That's where you practice. Okay. Is you have to have the roll-off phrases. So, for example, if we were going through an intense preparation here, I might give you examples of where your, your thing did not work. How do you manage a conversation in a boardroom when you've got two people screaming at each other over what they regard as the future of the company? How do you sit there and say, let's all sit down and reason together? When you have strong-willed people, I might challenge you that way. So my practice partner is going to take that role and really push me a little bit so that I'm already prepared and I don't have to worry about thinking about it while we're live. All right. And yes, and here you might have practiced your comeback. If I was challenging you to say what you have to do in that situation is adjourn the meeting. Because these two sure. people have to calm down and go off and get a drink of water, go for a walk, and reconvene that meeting in a half an hour after tempers have settled. Because you cannot fix that situation that's already out of this control. This is great. That conversation is already unmanageable. Right. You got to give it a break. And now you just showed me how I can weave my key phrase right back into the answers. That's where what I call spinoffs. All right. You're getting a difficult question, but you have to have practiced. How do I turn that question back to the topic I want to talk about? If you're there to talk about that topic and you get drawn into a three minute discussion on the weather, you've wasted your time. You've lost an opportunity. That's not what you were there to talk about. So sometimes the hosts are very well prepared. Sometimes they've done their homework. Quite often, see, the hosts are busy people. And they're running through 30 or 40 interviews over a three-hour slot. Hmm. They're given a piece of paper with your name on it and one line about what you're going to talk about. And that may be the only preparation you have. And it may or may not be something that really interests them. They're paid to sit there and look pretty to do an interview. Yes. All right. You're there to sell a point of view or whatever you're moving that day. So sometimes you won't find that they're aggressive, but you'll find that they're very ill-prepared for you. That's an opportunity for you to tell stories, quick stories, to illustrate your point. This is great. And thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us and giving us some good ideas. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Weber CSP has a very interesting approach to a business plan. Far from being a long document, she encourages speakers to develop a simple page for the next three years. What do we want to accomplish? What do we want to stop doing? That's an important one because only by saying no to some things, we are saying yes to other opportunities and vice versa. This interview will take us step by step through the process of getting results through actually matching our plan. How many of us 
working a business plan. Speakers business plan. Liz Weber, CMC, CSP, is here with us today. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Nice to have you here. You know, thinking about business plan just scares a lot of people. It's work. It's tedious. Do I really have to do it? And why? And it's too long, many pages. When am I going to see it again? Those are all good questions, and they're all valid. In fact, when I talk to, to business owners, whether they're speaking business owners or, or an owner of a manufacturing company, the initial impression I get by looking at them is, ugh, it just sounds like work. And actually, just this morning, I was talking to a speaker, and he said, it just scares me because I'm going to have to think. Because it's so easy not to have to think about the hard stuff but get consumed with the day-to-day -day stuff. But the whole point of creating a three-year business plan for your speaking business is, as Patricia Fripp says, structure creates freedom. And what I mean by that is when you're clear on where you want to take your speaking business, you reduce the time that you waste your energy, your focus, and your money chasing those bright, shiny stars that sound like great ideas that are going to be the fix to take you to a million-dollar business, but they don't. And so what this does is it causes you to focus your energies to do the right things for your business to create the business you want to create. And usually that happens when we go to conventions, conferences, even with the internet. There's so many things out there and so... Exactly. Exactly. It's it's also helping you prevent that herd mentality, like you're saying. When you go to convention, there's so many great ideas at NSA conventions and conferences. So you go into one breakout session and, and you hear about, oh, social media that. I have to do that. And then you go into the next one and say, oh my gosh, I have to do that. Oh my gosh, I have to do that. And, and you're so excited, but you waste so much time and energy doing things that sound great in the moment, but they're not right for you and they're not right for your business. So we tend to be chasing the magic bullet. Exactly. And what you're telling us right now is the, the strategic plan is probably the magic bullet. Yeah. Not the shiny objects. Exactly. So help us figure out how to make that magic bullet work. <laughs> you want the magic bullet. I, I want the magic what bullet. What are the yeah. smart questions? Yeah. 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 It, it, really, it really does. It creates clarity. And so that's, that's kind of, of the whole point of this thing. So what I'll do is I, it's basically seven steps. And I like to keep it very simple. And I'll, I'll tell you right away, we're going to keep this to one sheet of paper. This is not a huge document. This is not a multi-page, multi-tab Excel spreadsheet. This is one eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. A three-year business plan three -year on business. one page. Yes, ma'am. That's it. Tell me more. <laughs> writing down. <laughs> okay, so let's get started. So here's the first thing that you really need to start thinking about, and you need to do this seriously. And this is identifying what type of company you want to build your speaking business to become. What's your vision for your company? So it might be you want to become a celebrity. You might want to be the person that's interviewed on all the major networks as a go-to resource. That's great. That could be a vision for your company. Another vision for your company might be that you want to have a million-dollar business. You want to have at least a million dollars in revenues every year. That's great, too. Or you might simply want to create a business that allows you to earn the type of, of monies to allow you to live the lifestyle that you want. So you can buy the house that you want, the vehicles that you want, travel when you want, be comfortable, and enjoy life. Work whatever three it is. days a week. Or work three days a week, whatever it is. And, and you need to get clear on what it is you want your business to become for you. That's step one. So you start at the end. You start at the end. Start with the end in mind. Exactly. Yep. That's step one. Okay. 
So then step two is the reality check question, though. Okay. So let's say, say for instance, Stephen, you want a million dollar business. You okay. want to be that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Me too. <laughs> you want to be that. That sounds great. So the reality check question, though, is so how much does that really mean that I need to earn or gross in my business every month? Well, let's do the math. A million dollars divided by 12 months is over $83,000 a month, which for many people in the industry, okay, I've got to at least clear $83 million a month. Not a big deal. But for other members of our industry, oh my goodness, $83,000? That's a, a month. lot. Mm-hmm. A month? I don't want that. I don't want to work that hard or I'm, I'm never going to hit that. So that's fine too. Then we just know for your business, you need to scale it back a bit because you don't want to depress yourself. Let's be real. So it may not be a million-dollar business. Maybe yours is a half-million-dollar business, or maybe it's a $250,000-a-year business. What is right for you to move forward over the next three years? So that's step two. Step two is funding, money, or is also time? Yes. It's both. It's let's get a reality check. Because let's say, for instance, you want that million-dollar business, and you want it, so you know it's going to take $83,000 a month. But let's say your business is only maybe a $200,000 business right now. Well, to take it to a million, you have to become very aggressive. And so that tells you over the next three years, you're going to have to change the way you work dramatically. And so that's really a gut check question for you. And some people might say, it's time. I'm ready to do it. Let's go for it. And others may say, no, I don't think I'm going to do I don't want to work that hard. Okay. Yep. So that's well, step two. I'm ready to do it. Okay. So what, what <laughs> so do I do now? Yeah, well, we're going to do yeah, it now. Okay. <laughs> okay. So now then, step three, Stephen, is now is where you need to develop the infrastructure and identify the strategies to move you towards that million-dollar business. Okay. So basically, this is where you need to identify what are the big pieces I need to start putting in place to allow me to become the business I want to be. So for instance, it may be something like you need to build a, a bigger tribe and develop a stronger uh, influence on the, on the web, on community. social media, mm-hmm. community, build big, bigger community. You might need to develop a support team, get staff, get virtual teams put in place. You might need to create a stronger passive income stream. You may need more books. You may need more products. You probably need to build a scalable business. You need to start putting in some major strategies, some major steps to create the foundation, the footers for your business as you want it to be going forward. So you need to identify what do I need to do better or what do I start needing to do big picture now to move me into becoming the business I want to become. And this is a huge list. This is not... Three, four things. You put everything that you have in mind? No, actually, that's a great question. You can start writing down everything you want to do, but then look for the major themes. Because what's going to happen, a lot of the major themes are going to fall under stronger marketing. It's going to fall under a support team. It's going to fall under becoming a thought leader, a recognized name. It's going to become, it's going to include a line for stronger revenues or diversified revenues. It's probably going to include a line for more products and passive income. So they're going to, they're going to start falling into a theme. And so what I recommend is you really have maybe three or four tops five, really literally a handful of strategies on the left-hand side. And because more than that, and it's just going to become too much, you're not going to do it. 
Then uh, we get to the next step, which is step four, which is outlining the plan. And I was just mentioning about the left side. And what the outline and the plan is, is this is just where you really lay out a template. This is really just an eight and a half sheet of paper and then picture a table on that piece of paper. And it's a table with five columns. And let's say there are seven rows, okay? So the far left column, you want to label strategies. And these are the items for, like, Stephen, your, your company, this would be build a bigger tribe, create passive income streams, diversified income streams. All of those strategies are on the left-hand side. And then the second column in would be year 2015, the next one 2016, 2017, and then the far right column is going to be labeled notes. Okay? So we start outlining the plan, just kind of getting the structure. Then we go to step five, and this is an important step. This is where we need to identify what you need to stop doing. That's my favorite. Stop <laughs> doing. That's my top five strategies. <laughs> well, and this is key because what, so ha what happens so often is, again, we get that bright, shiny object syndrome, and we're so easily seduced into doing something easy or something quick, but it's not helpful. Or for many of us that have smaller business, we end up doing things that we as a company owner should not be doing. So it may be you need to stop doing all the administrative work yourself. You may need to stop doing all your own social media. What are some things you need to stop doing to free yourself up to start doing the things that are really important for you as the CEO of your business to grow your business to become the business you want it to be? So that's huge. And where you put that is that's going to be your last row on your template. Okay, so the last row is entitled Stop Doing. You so put it in capital letters in another color, <laughs> highlighted. <laughs> and that's where you focus first, yes. So then we get to step six. And step six is really map out or populate your plan. And this is where you simply start filling out the table. I love how you say simply. <laughs> yes, simply. But we keep, it, we keep the structure basic. So what we simply do here is we look at the first year and we look at all those different strategies, all the different rows that you have listed, and start identifying what do I need to do to start moving that forward. But we start at the bottom first. And the bottom row was stop, stop doing. Okay? Stop doing. So we populate that cell first. So there you identify what you for your business need to stop doing. So let's say as for example, you need to stop doing all your own administrative work. So you put that in the stop doing cell. So if you're going to stop doing all the administrative work, what's the first step you have to take? You have to find a person that is going to take care of that. There you go. So you go back up to the row that talks about building a support team. And one of the first things you do is either hire a VA, hire a staff person, or start identifying your vendors, maybe your website company and everybody else that you're going to start pulling together to create your own team to help you do the work that is not your area of expertise, that's not the best use of your time to move your business forward. So once you get that populated, then you simply go row by row and you populate that information with what do I need to do to start moving this area forward. So for instance, if passive income, you know, create more passive income is one of your strategies, this might be the year, Stephen, that you have to write that book that you've been putting off for so long, the book that's going to position you as the thought leader. 
So that might be that activity in that cell. And you do the same thing for year one. Now, keep in mind, you don't have to populate every single cell because writing a book and writing it well takes time in addition to doing the work that you currently have to do to keep your clients happy. So be fair to yourself and, and don't overburden yourself. And life happens and circumstances change. Exactly. So let's be realistic. Don't, don't be too aggressive, but just map it out. So we do that for year one, and then we look at year two. Okay? And we say, given everything we've populated in year one, let's anticipate that when we do all of those things so well, what's the next step then in year two of our plan? So for instance, in year two, you need to identify what you're going to stop doing in year two, and you identify that, and then you look up your column for year two, and let's say, for instance, Stephen, you wrote your book in year one. So now year two, what would be an obvious next step to enhance your brand as a thought leader in your area that you just wrote the book on? What would you do? Well, it could be online resources, uh, workbook, complementary tools. There you go. Exactly. So what you start doing then in year two is you start building the complementary, supplementary products that support your book in developing you as a thought leader. And so that's what you start doing then in year two. For every one of the strategies you had in the year before, how do you leverage that even further in year two? And he doesn't have to wait one year to check it. Correct. Right? Correct. How often should we check this template? My recommendation is every quarter. Every three months, sit down with your team. If you have a virtual team, get on a conference call with all of them and check in to say, where are we on the plan? Because as you just said, life happens. And, and sometimes things are going to come up that's going to delay writing that book or developing those products or whatever it might be. And that's okay. But What may also happen is when you have your quarterly check-in sessions, either with yourself or with your team, you can identify what do I as a business owner need to do to either help my support staff do this even better, or this isn't working, it's not going the way I want it, I need to stop spending even time with them on this right now. I need to have them just stop because this isn't, this isn't going to be right for me now that we're in it. And so it gives you an opportunity to stop things sooner rather than later. So this plan is not carved in a stone tablet. No. It's a piece of paper and we can always adapt it as we move forward. Exactly. It's, it's a guide. It's, it's not, as you said, carved in stone because life happens Business model will change, but this allows you to determine where you want to spend your energy, your time, and your money. Okay? So we have one last step. Number seven. Number seven. And this is a big one. And honestly, if you do nothing else, if you don't even fill out the template, do number seven. And what number seven is, is simply define your clarifying question. And what I mean by that is... This is a question I want you to put at the head of your template or even write it on a piece of paper or put it as, as your, your scroll on your, on your screensaver on your computer. And on the mirror and on the couch. <laughs> Tattoo it on your arm. <laughs> and the question is, is this moving my business forward or is this a distraction? And the question is simply asking you, what is the best use of your time at that point in time to move your business forward. 
and this is daily. You ask yourself this question every day. Every day. Every day. And honestly, some days, the best use of your time might be doing nothing. Resting. Resting. Or it might simply be calling customers. It might be marketing. But also it might be spending that time and writing that book. So if you do nothing else, ask the question. Because what it also does for you and for your team, when your team gets an idea and they come to you and they say, Pilar, Pilar, I just saw this. We have to do this. You can ask them, is this moving the company forward or is this going to be a distraction? And if they can justify how it's going to move it forward and it's going to replace something that's already on the plan, great. But if it's a distraction, it was a nice idea, but it's not a right fit for you right now. Not yet. Not yet. I can imagine asking that question every day helps me to clarify the stop doing list a lot faster. Yes. Yes. And and it's one of those things also, and Stephen, we were talked about this before we started. It's it's the question that asks you, is this a fifty dollar issue or is this a fifty thousand dollar issue? And, and I fall into the same trap. Sometimes it's, it's easy to do the $50 item because it's quick and you can mark it off and you feel as if you accomplished something. But it's not really moving your business forward. It's not complicated, but it is hard because you have to think and you have to make decisions. And I will tell you, this is not just hard for speakers. This is hard for all of my clients because you have to make decisions and get clarity on, and, and commitment on where do I really want to take this business? And then you work to that. How do we make our message something that is not forgotten 24 hours after they've heard us speak? Maybe something that can actually live on and become something meaningful that they can act on. And if, I see, if it's a full day event, Something that they don't forget after the second or third speaker of the day. Yes. With us today is Sylvia Henderson, the maven of implementation, idea success network, and how to use techniques to have those messages and to make them memorable. Welcome, Sylvia. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Do you have a process? Do you have a system? We all have ideas, wonderful ideas, but if they stay in our mind, they are not going to be memorable for anyone. <laughs> so, so what to do first? The number one first thing is to take away all the filters in your head and to just start getting your thoughts down. So if you have a theme or if you have an idea for any aspect of your message, just get it out of your head. Use <laughs> index cards, use that whiteboard. I don't care what it is, but just start getting it down. We call it divergent thinking. It's, it's just spilling everything you're thinking about out so that you can make more room for more molecules in your brain to get more ideas. So it's really unfiltered. And then? And, well, and that's my, my trouble, is that I start to edit the idea as it's coming out. I get it up on the whiteboard, and then I start to tweak the words, oh, and I yeah. then I get stuck. 
We so you're saying and free flow. Free flow, no filters. I don't care how silly it seems. Uh, take a theme or a thought you have for making your message more interesting and just start writing out words and phrases and, and what you visualize people doing and anything related to that message or related to a specific theme maybe and just get it out on something and it doesn't matter what, whether it's verbal or written. And then you will start editing Afterwards. Afterwards, you don't write an edit at the same time. That's so right. you step back, you take some distance. Yes, in fact, that first stage is called the writer's brain because, as authors who many speakers are, just need to do brain dumps. Hmm. Uh, and then I call them idea storms. Just get your ideas out, then move to that next step of now it's time to filter. Now it's time to look at patterns, look at relationships, uh, start connecting dots with what you've thrown out of your head and your message. And there's probably a little bit more to that in terms of your message, knowing what your message is, mm. uh, knowing the results you want to achieve with your message, knowing what you want your audience to know, do, or feel, and then to connect dots with those crazy ideas you had for your theme to say, so what in all of these thoughts I had will actually help my audience achieve the result I want them to achieve because you don't want the memory techniques and the theme to be hokey as we say because business audiences are turned off by that right let's talk about that theme and memory many of us have hobbies many of us have interests many of us have things that we just get excited about personally and we think hmm I can't really put that into a business message You know, they, they just seem diametrically opposing. For instance, I ride a motorcycle. I love riding my motorcycle. So that is a theme. So I integrated, I chose to make motorcycling the theme of much of my messaging. And so you think, so how does motorcycles, how do motorcycles fit yeah, with ideas <laughs> and implementation? And I go, okay, I start throwing out, so what are aspects of motorcycling? And just for an example, well, we have saddlebags. And there's bunches of other things in motorcycling. So I just started throwing out aspects of motorcycling and came across saddlebag. Well, the business message might be, what baggage are you carrying? Oh, okay. Mm, okay, so What baggage is stopping theme. you? Yeah. And, and you so, start creating analogies, metaphors. That's right. That's right. And so I tie the motorcycle, the baggage, and saddlebag and create a business message. And people remember, yeah, add a little bit of visual, like motorcycling, like how many African-American female motorcycle riders do you know? So <laughs> that makes me memorable, along with the theme of that motorcycle lady said, yes. and, um, and then but use the analogy, too, and it makes it stick. Sometimes it's given to you by the conference. Yes. Our theme the is, is, is shipping, or our theme is, the, is nautical. So you work within the theme, and the theme becomes the framework yes. in which to communicate the message. Now I've got to figure out how do I make the message memorable. The theme will be memorable, but what about the actual content that's going to be implemented? There you might have, there the memory techniques come into play. And there are so many kinds of memory techniques. They may be visual, like a, a symbol or representation. Our logos are typically uh, a memory technique for, for who we are overall. But for your message, you might have a visual representation. You might have a cartoon. Sometimes color is a way to remember things. My most, the things I focus on are words, language. We're speakers. And so I look at how do we use words to make our message sticky. And a very, very popular, typical way to do that is through using acronyms, which are going to be a simple word, hopefully odd-lettered, 
because odd number of letters because we remember odd numbers and then you work on so what can I start each letter you know what word what phrase can I make each letter represent mm-hmm. that ties to my theme it's a little harder than it sounds because you need to make them all make sense to your message but once you can do that that's that's a, a very typical memory technique that speakers use and so each letter stands for a step in the process. And I just keep weaving, you keep weaving that into your message and it sticks. Wonderful, Sylvia, thank you very much. And it's all about having that audience, uh, that client remembering and repeating the essence of our message when the program is over. That's right. Thank you, Sylvia. Thanks for having me. And now a presidential conversation with Ruby Newell Legner. And now with us, NSA President Ruby Newell-Legner, CSP. She would like to share with us some of her proven steps that will help us to create a wonderful experience with our own customers, our clients, fans, and of course, the meeting planners. Ruby, you have taught us a lot over the last couple of months about your fan experience training that you do in the sports and entertainment industry. And one of the things that intrigues me is something you call cycles of service. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how it applies to our world as speakers? Absolutely, Stephen. One of the fun things that I get to do is go in and help a uh, professional sports team identify their cycles of service. And the first thing we do is I encourage them to look at it from the fan's perspective. So you have to put their shoes on. And we identify the steps that they would go through if they were going to attend a game. So they might check the schedule online. They might purchase a ticket. They would go to the game. They'd park their car. They'd go through security. They would give their ticket to a ticket taker. They would talk to an usher. They would also go up and, you know, maybe buy some uh, merchandise or they would go get some food and drink. And then they would enjoy the game and then they would leave. They would get in their car. They would drive away and, and uh, drive back to their driveway. So one of the things that we talk about is driveway to driveway, thinking about all the steps that a, a fan would go through. And that's what I work with with the sports teams to help them understand all the steps that a customer would go through so that we can then take it to the next level. Exactly. Very, very important. And how we could use them as speakers in our speaking business. It's a great process to think about from a speaking standpoint. So Pilar, for instance, if a, um, a customer, you're going to be thinking about a meeting planner when you do this activity and really walk through all the steps that a customer would go through. So that meeting planner is your customer. So first of all, they may look you up online. They may confirm your availability. Um, then we hope they sign a contract. Then they complete a pre-programmed questionnaire, and then they would schedule a conference call. That would be just before the event even happens. Then during the event, there's quite a few steps as well. We would think about um, what happens when you arrive on site. What happens to the customer? Well, the customer would hear from you that you've arrived. That's always a nice thing to do to make sure that they're not, they're not worried about you. Uh, you might do a rehearsal or actually, once again, this is the customer standpoint. So uh, do a rehearsal and an equipment check. Uh, the customer would introduce you. They would watch your session and then they would offer a standing ovation yay then they would probably pay you the the balance of the fee before you left now that's during the event and then afterwards there's a whole set of steps that a, a customer would go through too they would make sure that they've 
completed all the paperwork and they've got all the details they need. They may receive an invoice from you for the remaining expenses if there are any. And they re then they would receive a, a thank you letter and a testimonial request and they would complete that testimonial and then hopefully they would refer us uh, to a colleague or ask us to come do another speaking engagement. If we think about all those steps that we would go through and identify them, and sometimes it's a great group activity. If you have some office staff that you're working with, you know, or someone who books you, walk through those steps and make sure that you have them all outlined. Then the second phase of this is really thinking about what standards do you want to create for each one of those steps. And this is from something that you would do or your staff would do. And it's how you want to be known. So, you know, confirming availability. Do you, uh, is that easy for the customer? Is it on your website or do they have to fill out a form to find out? All the details that are in a contract. When they complete the program questionnaire and what do you want to be able to have in there that is details for them that's going to help them. So if you walk through, identify the steps for the customer, and then identify what perception you want to leave with them all the way through the whole process. Then it becomes a wonderful experience and they will book you again because they had such a great time and you've really taken the attention to detail to create that kind of feeling. Rube, I really like the way you've spelled this out for us. Understanding this cycle of service, there's a before, a during, and an after. And we all know there's a lot of moving parts. So having that checklist or that map keeps focused and allows us to define the expectations that we want our customers to really experience. Valuable information. Thank you very much, Ruby. And this is a great opportunity for us to review what we have or to create one cycle of service in our own business if we don't have one. Hey friends, I want to encourage you to open up your calendar right now. Go to July and make sure that you have marked out that fabulous time for NSA's premier professional development event, Influence 2016. You've got to make it a priority. It's going to be a stellar event. It's going to be in Phoenix, Arizona at the JW Marriott Resort, where thousands of speakers are going to come from around the world to get together, to network, to learn, and to seek out new opportunities. Make sure you book your flight, your hotel, and register to the event by visiting the website www.nsaspeaker.org. Stephen Shapiro, CSPCPAE, and Scott Halford, CSPCPAE, are the co-chairs of this event and have been working for months to bring us the best of the industry. Welcome to another edition of Two Sides of the Same Coin, where we take one question and hear how two different successful speakers feel about the same topic. Today the question is, as an expert, should books from speakers be based on the author's wisdom and personal experiences, or should it be rooted in facts and paid research? First up to state her opinion is Connie Fife. Connie is an exit strategy coach and host of C-Suite Mafia with Connie Fife, a primetime business radio program. She's a four-time author and currently working on her fifth book. Welcome, Connie. The question every writer has is, where do I start? 
we all need to start with researching our topic. We need to create a book that's going to be relevant. And we, we want to write a book that's going to provide tools and ideas so that our readers feel really good about themselves after, after reading the book. My books are business books, and they're based on my personal experiences and my wisdom. I like to believe that I'm redefining realness because not enough of our personal stories are being told. And I believe we need books that reflect our personalities. I don't think it's empowering to have paid research or stories that are filtered. My grandfather was a writer. He was a marketer and creator of many of the famous neon signs that we remember back back to the 60s. He was the original creator of the McDonald's Golden Arches, and his books contain many facts, many statistics, but never did he pay for, for the research. Now, we could, we could quickly argue that writing a business book from our personal experiences is much different than writing a book full of statistics and facts. But if you want to make an impact, if you want your reader to connect with you and really pull them into your story, then I strongly recommend writing from your wisdom and your personal experiences. And next up, to share the opposite side of the coin, is Jay Bear. Jay is president of Convince and Convert. He is a digital marketing and customer service expert, a five-time author, and the most retweeted person in the world among digital marketers. Okay, Jay, I'm tossing it to you next. Thanks very much, Lori. Of course, authors and speakers are experts. That's why they're tackling the topic at hand. And I'm sure it's tempting to rely on your own uh, personal experience, your own anecdotes as the guts of the book. And that's typical, I think, for, for many people who are authors and speakers. But, but I look at it from a completely different perspective. As somebody who is what we call a content speaker, and as somebody who writes books that are rich in content of interest to marketers, uh, business owners, people who are interested in customer service and customer experience, I feel like it's really important to have real research that informs the content of the book. My industry, social media, content marketing, online changes so fast that I feel like those changes have to be captured mathematically with real research. I conducted a massive, comprehensive, expensive research project with the company Edison Research to come up with all the data that was in the book. In fact, you might be interested to know that I set out to write a different book. I did the research to prove the thesis, found that my original thesis was in fact incorrect, and wrote an entirely different book as a consequence. So I don't say, here's what I believe, let's find research to buttress that. It's I have an inkling of an idea, let's do the research to see if that's true, and then let's write a book based on what is in fact true. Now, the other part that I think makes a lot of sense is when you have research that you did for a book, that research becomes your best marketing asset, because you can deconstruct the research into individual statistics, individual perspectives, use it in social media, uh, use it as individual uh, pieces of flotsam and jetsam that you can give to the traditional media to get press interest for the book pre-release. So not only do I think that research makes the book better, makes the work more credible, but it also can be your most powerful marketing asset. Usually, I know which guests to agree with, even though I keep that opinion to myself, but this time I honestly don't know. I could argue either side of this coin. I'll let you decide. So until next time, this is Lori Guest. Thanks for listening. 
This is Voices of Experience announcer Sam Newton. It's time to wrap up this edition with VO We. Now your hosts, Stephen Iverson, CSP, and Pilar Ortiz. Welcome to VOE, this beautiful paradise. Make sure you watch the video because Steven and I are on this beautiful beach. It's fabulous and it's such an inspiring place to do what I always wanted to do when I was a kid. If they asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be an author on a little cottage by the beach, little typewriter and be published. And I'm sure because you are an author, your dream came true that same way. You wrote your book just like you described, right? No, I don't have a typewriter. <laughs> I have a laptop and I write sometimes in the airport and sometimes in my home office and sometimes on the beach. Yes inspiring right it is. and a lot of times we have to find that time to write or to record or to really do it because we get so busy that it's never going to happen at least for me that i'm going to have that one week or two weeks to write yes but you know part of the, ch the challenge is that we've been told you have to have the book you have to have the book in order to get in front of the media to have the exposure you want but that's not always true with everyone in our industry and for some people it's a marketing piece when I publish my book it, well, that was the idea a marketing piece that will help me to open doors and it has some other people want to publish for a different reason for a legacy or because they want to impact in a different way right so right. it is it is different ways of doing it and some other people would say that you don't really need a book to rush a book right and some people I think are a little panicked about having to be the writer. I'm not a very good writer, they say, but you don't have to be a writer. In fact, I don't think I've ever met anybody who was a speaker that ever had speaker's block. <laughs> so why not just record your presentations, have those transcribed, allow that to become the source of the things that you can have published, and then decide how are you going to use that published work. And you've got to make sure that people know that it's available. So the media becomes an important piece of it. And now it's easier and easier to get to the media, but time has changed. Being with a media background myself, I can tell you that it's no longer only about the press release. It's not one or two or three stations. It could be online, it could be television. But a lot of times we need to make that first approach. Right. Because otherwise they're receiving too much. They are. And we need to understand what is newsworthy. That's, that's true. What is newsworthy and how is the content that we have, no matter how we've published it, going to resource those people in the media so that they have something to actually use for their audience, which then benefits us as well. So are you ready for the interview that we have with the television station here locally because you just came to Florida? I'm going to be ready. <laughs> we are always ready as speakers, authors. That is important to be always ready because we never know when that interview is going to happen and it could change our business. That's right. So good luck with your publishing and your media exposure. Bye-bye. Take care. See you soon. We're also extending the value of VOE by continuing the conversation. It's very easy. Go to the National Speakers Association Facebook page. Post your questions and comments. Make sure you tag Pilar or me, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts. And also remember to download the VOE app so you can enjoy this valuable information on your own time, anywhere, at any moment. Talk to you next month. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.